Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks, share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. On Zoom and the internet. Right. In five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome everyone to this episode of the real leaders podcast i'm your host kevin edwards and joining me today folks we've got a good one we've got aaron crookshank the president of ctrs aaron my man how you doing today doing good how are you i'm doing well i'm feeling intelligent trying to learn about markets and, and market intelligence i hope you can help me out with that today aaron We'll, we'll get we'll give the old brain a little massage today. How's that sound? And it's it's much it's long overdue. Let's just say that <laughs> for, for market intelligence. So let's let's start there, Aaron. I'm just curious. You know, when, when sure. we throw out this broad term of markets and market and marketing, what does it mean to you exactly? Well, you know, the market is the ecosystem that every business swims in, right? This is this is your ocean that you swim in. This is everything that happens around you and your business is the market. So as a business, you're trying to capture some of those fish in that ocean and eat them. That's, that's how you get paid. That's how you eat. And knowing what's in the ocean around you, where there's little shoals of fish that are going to be super tasty, and maybe a little less competition for those fish is a really good thing for a business. So everything around marketing, market research, market intelligence, the market is all about how to, as a business, we we take advantage of everything that's going around us and get a nice full belly full of fish. 
And and that's that's a really interesting topic because markets can often become bloody, right? The oceans can become bloody. There's lots of sharks in there. Yeah. The fish are all taken. What are some things that you, in your experience, had to uh, overcome in order to, I guess, I don't know if it's differentiate yourself, but make sure that you stand out in these, in these murky waters? That's an excellent question. I mean, we when we started out, so I've been doing this now for almost 20 years. And when we started out, we were kind of a, a body shop for just about anything. People would come in the door and say, hey, can you guys do this? We'd say, sure. And so we were darting around and taking taking little nibbles here and there and 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 not really differentiating ourselves. And then I got onto this uh, track with the Red Ocean, Blue Ocean. There's a book on that, Blue Ocean Strategies. Excellent read. Um, and that idea is really, you know, to be effective or, or to do really well in a space, you got to find a niche market and one where, as you say, there's less sharks already swimming around. So that's that's what we did around 2017, 2018 was we said, you know what? Let's just focus exclusively on market intelligence because when we look around, there's hardly anybody doing this. There's there's not much competition, lots of demand, people need this, and we're not seeing many sharks uh, around trying to take advantage of that, So, which is something we also try to help our clients find. So, so a blue ocean strategy obviously is the best strategy um for the business but you know there are things you can do if it's a bloody red ocean too but but for us we were trying to find that that blue ocean spot and market intelligence was it for us interesting and so what is kind of the goal of market intelligence is it to help maybe a business maybe like you like me understand what that niche customer is and what they want you mentioned you were a body shop to begin with, how did this yeah. uh, evolve over time, and what's really the purpose of of this market intelligence? Well, market intelligence is really a, a function where you're looking at everything that's happening externally to the business. So traditionally, businesses will use business intelligence and market research, which tend to look at what's happened in the past and what's happening right now with the customers that you have today. And the real utility of market intelligence and why it helps businesses like mine and businesses like yours is it really lets you bring your head up, look around and go, gosh, what's what's happening out there that I could be exploiting? Oh, there's a whole school of fish over there that nobody's bothering. Maybe I should go over there and bother them or, you know, it, it, and so, you know, Peter Drucker, the, the famous business uh, pundit from back in the day, he said famously, you know, 90% of businesses are not looking at external stuff. They're spending all their time looking at internal stuff. And he said, that's absolutely backwards. You got to be spending the majority of your time looking at what's happening outside of your business. So you know where to go next. And that's, that's the real utility of market intelligence and why it's important for businesses to look at that. So you can sort of predict where the future is going to go and, and then try to be there when it arrives. That's, that's a really interesting point and something that um, is so simple, but sometimes, oftentimes, not easy to do. Um, when it comes to collecting and gathering intelligence, what's the process for that? Like, for instance, do I go out and interview my customers and try and understand what their pain points are and trying to relieve those? Um, how, how do you do this and how do you do this at scale? Excuse me. <clears throat> 
Yeah, that's a great question. So we tend to start with open source intelligence. So some people would call it desk research before we go to the human intelligence side that you're referring to. So open source intelligence really looks at the bigger macroeconomic or microeconomic terms that are trends that are happening in the market. So if you say, okay, people are, you know, let's, let's take streaming media, for example. So there's a lot of, you know, it was cord cutters, originally everybody dropping their cable packages to go to Netflix and Hulu and things like that. Now the market's become so saturated with streaming services that people are starting to go, eh, maybe I should go back to piracy. I'm going to dust off the old BitTorrent engine and just download those shows. Because now I'm spending, if I want all the streaming services, I'm spending more than I was on a cable package. So this is no longer a savings. And, and you know, so looking at those kind of trends and going, okay, what does that trend that's happening mean for somebody who's trying to get into the streaming space? Hmm. Saturation, customer behaviors changing. So, so we look at those kind of things first. We also do what's called the pestle analysis. So we're looking at everything political, economic, social, technological, legal, and environmental that's happening around your space to see, are there any triggers or events that are really going to mess up your day or create an opportunity for you? Once we sort of got an idea what's happening in your space, then we'll go to the human intel part. And, and it was interesting because you said, hey, should I go out and talk to my current customers? There's some utility in that uh, because you may be leaving money on the table by not uh, servicing a need that they have that you could easily service. And you know what they say, it's easier to keep the customers you got than to get new ones. So obviously you want to maximize the, the utility you're getting for those clients. But typically when we go out, we're talking to people who are not your clients because most of the time you know your clients already and you know what they want. And that can be a bit of an echo chamber where you're spending too much time focusing on what your current clients want. And you're again, you're not popping your head up and looking around. I'm going to keep doing this, popping my head up and looking around and going, what else is happening out there? Which way is the wind blowing? How, you know, and, and you learn a lot more from talking to people who are not your clients and finding out why don't they hire people like me? Why, why are they not buying our services? What do they like or dislike about who they're using now? That kind of thing. I love that because like, I'm a huge fan of like, knowing that the label of your company what works on the outside and you're on the inside of the bottle like you always got to be speaking to people outside and learning and gathering that intelligence so i really like this concept now in in the book blue ocean they kind of classify customers into really three sets of customers someone who's inside someone who's basically saying no and rejecting your offer and then just a ton of people outside that have no idea that your product even exists. How do you classify uh, each customer really in the market? I, I think that's a great way to classify folks in the market, right? There's, uh, we, we tend to come at it from a segmentation approach. Mm -hmm. So we'll say, okay, who, who are you servicing today? Let's create a persona or a segment around that, right? Because there's something that's working there. So is it you know, a lot of our clients are B2B. So they're saying, okay, well, we sell to forestry companies or we sell to mining companies or restaurants, supply companies. And, you know, so, okay, well, what size are they? How many employees, how much revenue, how many employees confirming that they have that pain point you're looking at. Then we start looking at secondary and tertiary segments and saying, there's your primary market. Um, can you just do that in different geographies? So let's say you're in the US, can you sell them to Canada? Can you sell that same thing into the UK? Can you sell that same thing to South Africa, mm. Australia, those kind of things? 
and then we could say, what about the other segments? So there's, so, so there's replicating markets that you already have in other geography, and then there's opening up new segments or new markets that you're not currently servicing. So that's that tends to be the way that we look at it in addition to that blue ocean approach is those outside the, the swimming pool clients that you're not talking to at all and aren't aware of you. Do they have things in common with the clients that you already have? Or are those new segments that you're going to have to rejig your marketing and sales and approach them differently, talk about the value proposition differently, those kind of things. Interesting. Well, thank you, Aaron. And I'm also curious, like uh, in your experience working with uh, maybe leaders as opposed to the followers, I guess with regard to specific companies, what's the difference between companies who are leading the charge, leading in their niche, as opposed to the companies who are maybe following the trend? Well, I think being willing to look at what's going on out there and saying, hey, I'm, I'm seeing some signals and not jumping immediately to solutions and, and spending some time thinking through the different possibilities and, and stress testing them a bit. So I find companies are companies that don't do as well, tend to jump too quickly to solutions and, and go, hey, let's throw it against the wall and see what sticks, see if we can gobble up some customers versus the ones who are, it's almost like modeling, you know? So you're, you're, you're kind of playing out some scenarios and going, okay, well, if this segment buys X units of this thing that we're selling, um, what is that gonna do to the market? How much market share could we grab there? Um, you know, is this, does this lead to spinoff products? Does it, does it, you know, really coming up with an imaginary customer journey map and following that segment through that and going, how is this actually going to work when we, when we roll this out? So, because lots of times you'll, you'll identify pain points and barriers that would make the model not work if you start workshopping it, stress testing it internally and going, Oh boy, yeah. If you get to that point and this isn't working, the whole thing's gonna blow up, and nobody likes that. So, that's that that market is not gonna work for that reason. Rather than trying to do it as a live fire exercise and having a client be really really upset with you because the thing that you said was gonna work doesn't work. Right, and and I can totally relate to that. Throwing throwing it on the wall and seeing what sticks, uh, it can be very very dangerous, if not lethal. To companies, especially if they're kind of in that, that early stage, um, Re reputational damage is the risk, right? Totally, absolutely, no, yeah. without a doubt. Uh, a question for you, Aaron, would be this: like in your experience, uh, for in terms of gaining traction for your own company, what mm -hmm. what really worked for you? That's a great question. I think it's really about educating the market. So traditionally, market market intelligence isn't new. This is something that's been around for decades, but it tends to be done at the sort of Fortune 500 level. You know, the biggest companies in the world they have whole teams of people internally that do this kind of work. And I think it is a bit of lack of awareness in smaller companies that this is even something that one can do that once we get over that hump and kind of say, hey, let, let us show you what these tools can do. Let us show the value proposition. Then it's really kind of a slam dunk. You know, there's very few of our clients that look at 
the value proposition for market intelligence and go, well, that's dumb. I don't want to spend money on that. Typically it's, it's, well, okay, I got to find a budget because we don't have a budget line item for market intelligence because I didn't know it existed two, two weeks ago. So now, now that I know it exists, I got to, I got to find a way to pay for this. That That's typically the way that the conversation goes. But um, yeah, I think spending time educating the market and just being very, very, very open about how the sausage is made because, you know, there are always going to be people who will say, ah, it's too expensive. I, I don't want to do that. And they'll try to DIY it. And they're, they're never going to be customers anyhow. So I'm happy to give them some of my time and say, sure. Yeah. Let me tell you how to DIY it. Here, here's, here's a list of things you got to do and they'll go off and do it. And, um, and then, you know, it gives us an opportunity to uh, strengthen a relationship with somebody who could be a customer down the road. And, and I think any CEO who has accurate information or intelligence out there, uh, I think a good one can, is able to make a decision on these things. Do you see any like decision paralysis when faced or confronted with new information? I mean, clearly it could be, hey, you got to go with door A. It's door A, yeah. Aaron. Go. But they, at the end of the day, they have to make their own decision. Like what, in terms of like your experience in dealing with these leaders, like where have you seen leaders, um, I guess, make, make great decisions? I think the best decision a leader can make in this scenario is once you've got your options, door A, door B, door C in front of you, and you're looking at ways to uh, move forward with that decision, the best thing you can do at that point is bring the team in and have them talk through the pros and cons of the different options. And I've seen, you know, we've gone through exercises with clients before, uh, after we've said, okay, here are your options, A, B, C. And there's always, this seems to happen a lot, but option A will always on paper look like the best option. You know, like it has the least number of barriers. It's got the best upside. And nine times out of 10, what ends up happening is we have a workshop, we get all the, the delivery responsible people, the next layer down in the organization to sit down. I call it the chair throwing exercise. So you get everybody in the room and you get all heated and you argue about the relative merits of these things. And nine times out of 10, that the option that looks best on paper gets rejected because there's something, a critical flaw with that. So I think if you, I think a responsible leader, when you get this kind of intel, you have to bring it back inside. Like we're, we're coming from that external perspective, but ultimately somebody internal has to execute on all this. And, and as a leader, you're the shepherd of those ideas, but the execution should be done by people um, lower in the organization, management level people leading that process. So you have to bring them in and, and let them rip it to shreds because if you try to ram that down their throats and say, yeah, this is what we're doing, make it work. And, and they know damn well, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So lots of times the second rank choice ends up being the best opportunity. Yeah, but you have, the team has to go through that exercise with the leader so that everybody's on the same page. You got buy-in, everybody's feeling good about it. Really helps. I, I like that. Aaron, in your experience, like what, what builds buy-in in a company i think it's i think it's the chance to have well you know i mean i think a leader needs to provide a certain amount of autonomy and opportunity to work on new things for folks so 
that's another added bonus of the, the the methodology that I just talked about, about getting the next level of the organization involved is you set them some goals. And then if you let them come up with the minutia and the nuanced approach to how to execute on that, then they take, I feel like they take a lot more ownership over it. And that's, and that's a big part of buy-in. If they feel ownership, they're going to want to make sure it gets done as opposed to if it's like, well, the boss says we got to do yada, yada, yada. So, you know, we better do it. And, and you might feel salty about it and not good about it. And you're not going to do as good of a job on that execution as if you had some buy-in and you really feel like this is the right thing to do. So I think that's, that's how you get the buy-in is, is you, you make them make the plan on how to execute. And then it's their plan. It's not your plan. It's their plan. I love that. Empowering others, giving them ownership in a project, in a company even. Great traits of leadership. Let's bring this home, Aaron. In, in your experience, what is your definition of a real leader? Well, for me, it's, um, you know, it is, I'm a big fan of the term servant leadership, which is, you know, this concept of a real leader putting their employees ahead of their own needs. And I think that to me is what a, a real leader does is, is put their employees above their own. And that creates this collaborative, loyal, positive company culture. So, you know, as a business owner, I believe it's my job to give people a chance to do meaningful work, to trust them enough to do this work autonomously, to be paid enough to live comfortably, and to be supportive enough that they continue to grow as people and professionals. That's how you grow amazing teams. And, and so to me, a real leader is someone who can get behind that team and put them way out in front and, and uh, make sure that their needs are being met. And, you know, if I can do those things, I know I'm creating a special culture where people will want to work hard for each other and, and uh, continue to work for us for a long time. So to me, that's, that's what a real leader does. Well articulated, Aaron. Thank you so much for coming on the Real Leaders Podcast today, my man, for Aaron Crookshank. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, put others' interests ahead of your own, and always keep it real. Thanks, Aaron. Hey, Relators, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Relators.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.